right, all right, all right. It's time for Revival Town Podcast. I'm Chuck Tate. That's Andy King. Hey, did you ever talk to uh, Matthew McConaughey about coming on the podcast? You know, I actually really did reach out to his agent, um, and I did get a response. Yeah. This was during the summer. He had a busy summer, and please... Hit us up again in the fall. And now I have her back. All right, all right, all right. right. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll we'll keep trying. We'll keep working. I want to talk about his book, Green Lights. Uh, Have you read it? I have. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Did you you ever see him um, preach at his church? I did. Yep. And Ah. and I wouldn't call it preaching, but... No, no. no, Yeah, no. But it was... you it was what? more an interview with his pastor. Yep, it, it was um, just very inspiring. You know, I'm, I am inspired by him, and, and he is a man of faith. Um, he talks about his relationship with God and, and, and Jesus in, in the book. There's also um, some colorful words, yeah. words yeah. throughout the book, and that's just he just kind of he's raw and lays things out. How you know? But I, I honestly got a lot out of the book. I really, yeah. I really did. Um, I, I thought it was excellent. So good. Well, I, we weren't planning on talking about that. <laughs> yeah, but, we weren't dead. I don't know where that. But you know, a lot of people talk to us about how our lives are very similar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To the point where we do things at the same time. It's just or go places at the same it's, time. It's it's kind of bizarre, right? For example. Um, just a, a couple weeks ago, or last week, I should say, where we're pre-recording this. Um, my daughter had been bugging me to take her to a place that's pretty well known in, in, in Peoria. You know, last week on the podcast, we had Mayor Artis. Yeah. And one of the places to go in the fall, in the, if you live in the Peoria area, is an orchard. Yeah. Right? Called Tanner's Orchard. Yeah. And... It's just just a cool place. I mean, there's goats and there's animals, and but uh, really they have great man cider and cider donuts, which has made them famous. Now let's 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 uh, it's a good good f- stuff for our English guests. Though we got to make sure people know what cider is because okay. cider in the UK is the hard stuff. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. So this is apple juice. This is apple right? juice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> apple juice, and, donuts, and, 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 and um, um, they also have. Oh my goodness! It's a different kind of cider. Um, they don't have just just apple cider, but they have um, they peach did? peach cider. Oh, Pe- I've never had peach. that. Yeah, is it oh, good? Man, we bought two bottles of it. Ooh. It's a yeah, really good stuff. Mm, I like their donuts. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, but we went the same day. Same day. So I, I didn't even know it until I saw it on Instagram. Like, yeah. so we just missed you. Yeah. Well, you're a stalker. That's what. Yeah. You are, well. Yes. Yeah. You know. No, but it, it's crazy. We. It's we just kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, out of all the places to go, and then we both went the same day within an hour. Yeah, yeah, within, within an, an hour. hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were there, left, and we probably, yeah. like you said, passed each other in the. In yeah, the it's car. about 30, 40 minutes from here, so it's not like we saw each other on, you know, in town. This is you got to travel away. Yeah, this so. is yeah about a forty-minute drive. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, talking about the fall. This is the coldest time of year. So, so in fact, hey, it's it's man, we're it's Christmas season. Everybody's oh. man, it's it's on. But the person we're going to interview today is the other side of the planet. Yeah, first interview from Australia. Yeah, and in fact, you'll hear us talk about it. But um, we interviewed her. We got to the 
to your office where we record all these shows at like seven in the morning. But yep. for her, it was 11 o'clock at night. By the time she got done, it was past midnight. Past midnight, yeah. Uh, on the same day, which is totally yeah. crazy. Thank right? you, Angela. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, so this is a, a, a really cool one for me. Her, uh, we grew up um, in the same town. We went to the same youth group. We talk about it, obviously, in, in the interview. Um, but we knew growing up that Angela and her dad especially was one of the wealthiest men in England, right? We didn't, we didn't mention it here, but like... Around that time when the, and she mentions this in her book, um, the Times, the London Times would do a list of the top 100 uh, wealthiest men in the country. Yeah. Her dad, at this year that they were doing this, was in the top 30, okay? 30 richest men in Britain. <clears throat> you got to understand that Elton John and Paul McCartney did not make that list. That, that's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So um, so we were friends. That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you want to say it again? Yeah. <laughs> crazy! So to, today we're going to interview her because her journey in life um, from growing up in wealth and, uh, I mean, crazy wealth, helicopter in the backyard type of wealth, yeah. uh, to... What she is doing now and what she's been doing is incredible. And she's written a book about it. It really is. And you need to order the book. I ordered the book. And you've read the book. Oh, man. Fascinating story. And a really great interview. I really appreciated her taking the time, especially at the time of night. And there it's here. It's Christmas for us. It's summer for her. Yeah. But um, I really, um, really enjoyed it myself. I was like really intrigued yeah. to, to listen. So I know our listeners are going to love. Yeah. So why don't you sit back and relax and enjoy this. Grab a cider. <laughs> an apple juice. Yeah, apple juice. Uh, and enjoy this interview with Angela Williams. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. All right, everyone, it's time for another conversation on Revival Town Podcast. Our guest today, the Honorable Angela Williams, is a wife, mother, author, public speaker, a philanthropist, and the daughter of a British lord and from one of the wealthiest families in England. She is the founder of Embrace Warwickshire LTD. I knew you were going to have to I, I, I <laughs> practiced that so many times. Yeah, she is the founder of a charity reaching out to the sex workers of Coventry, England since 2008. Now living on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia, she has just released her first book, Extravagant Life to Extravagant Love, a biography telling of her extraordinary life of living between two extreme opposite worlds and how she found her divine purpose in the most unlikely places. Angela, welcome to Revival Town Podcast. Thank you so much for being on. It's a pleasure to be here. What a joy. Thank you. This is, uh, this is, there are so many emotions I've got going on right now. 
Angela and I were in the same youth group for a while. Uh, I dated her best friend for a little bit uh, <laughs> that she's mentioned in the book that you wrote. Um, but yeah, we I wasn't sure if you were going to go there. I did. I went there. That's fine. That's fine. Hey, you know. But the, the oh, crazy, the, I, I remember a, a lot of different things that we would do as a group. Um, one of the craziest things, I was going to throw this right at the front, get it, get it out the way. I don't know if you remember, we went to um, a car show in Birmingham at the NEC. Because your yeah. dad, we're going to get into this. This is your dad's world, the, the car world. And um, we got there and there was a brand new car that had just come out. It was bright yellow because I, I thought, man, that looks like a, a B. Um, <laughs> but it was the Hyundai Escoupe. And I remember you were like, man, that's really nice. And I'm like, I would love one of those cars one day. Well, that was my first car I ever got in America. Really? Well, yeah, yeah. Wow. It wasn't. It wasn't yellow. It was red, right? Okay. But but I remember but that. The day, dream was birth. Yeah. When I remember standing then. there going, that car is really really nice. So so I remember little st stupid little trips that that we would do like that as a group and stuff. And um, but yeah. So that story's out there now, right? But well, congratulations! You finally got your dream car. I hope <laughs> it was lived up to what you expected. It was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, um, like I said, we went back quite a, a ways and when your book came out, which has just come out, and I do not, Chuck, I do not devour books. I am terrible. You ask my wife. Yeah, she's I, like... Well, I, I know that. I know that. Yeah, so I, I, I was read impressed book, when yeah. you said that you read the whole thing. Yeah. I was like, I'm really impressed. So I, I already ordered it, so I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. But, um, but this is an incredible book. And, and I think, especially over here in the States, people are really going to get into it because in the world of um, Downton Abbey and, you know, it's such a massive thing and the crown that's out over here, your story is is a little bit like that. Not like a Downton Abbey where you lived in a mansion that big, but your story is pretty incredible. So we want to unpack this, if we can, Angela, today. Um, and you can you can you can share the stories, whether they're in the book or not in the book. Um, but your life growing up was completely different than the most kids, right? So what we what we thought we would do is just ask you to tell us about what life was like in the early early years of growing up. You go into it in the book, but really wanted to, you to unpack that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as you say, I've had some. Uh, very unique life experiences that most people don't get to have in their lives so um, but for me right in the early years it kind of just felt like normal you know I lived in a family didn't really realize what it meant to be wealthy I didn't really realize how different that made you from from other people and it was only really as I started to kind of grow up and interact with people particularly in our local village so we lived in a really big house in a mining village so the demographics of the village were actually you know they were um probably below the poverty line most of them mm. and in terraced houses really lived and worked from day to day um and then you've got this house just a little bit further it was probably a mile down the road um and it was a really big kind of prestigious home and so whenever we would go and visit the local corner shop 
you could hear the whispers of people saying, oh, you know, they're the millionaire's kids. They're from that big white house on the hill. And, <laughs> and so that's when I began to realize, oh, actually, people are paying an interest in our family. Why is that? It doesn't make much sense to me. And, you know, as I began to grow up, I began to realize that actually owning a helicopter in your backyard, dad <laughs> flying off to work in his helicopter probably wasn't that normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I got to hear more about that. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, yeah. why don't yeah. you unpack a bit about yeah. um, what your dad did, right? Because and I, I lived probably five miles, if that, from where you were, um, you know, came out to the house. Um, and you're right, it was, you would drive through this little village and go just a little ways. And then there was this house. And my first time going there was like the helicopter. That's not normal (laughs) for you it was but for like 98 percent of england it wasn't like um yeah my dad took me to school on a bicycle (laughs) (laughs) but i think most people were taken by the swimming pool in the basement yeah 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 swimming swimming pools in australia is a very common thing but in england yeah nobody had swimming pools who'd want to swim in english weather (laughs) (laughs) but what why don't you unpack that a little bit? Um, obviously, yeah. uh, you, you know, you mentioned your dad at, at that time very, and still is a very successful businessman. Um, yeah. Unpack that a little bit so people can understand um, really the, the impact he was having not only in, in Europe with what he was doing, mm. but also the church as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, my, you know, my dad didn't grow, born, wasn't born into wealth. He was born in India, grew up in Africa, and really was one of these kids that would play truant, was told he would never make anything of his life. Um, but he had an entrepreneurial spirit, and, um, you know, he would be mischievous as a kid, and he'd come up with all these kind of harebrained ideas of how to make money. One, one instance was um, he would collect all the uh, flowers off the center reservation in the road he'd pick up all the flowers and he'd go door to door knocking and and sell them for the hospital bedding fund (laughs) and he got sprung once when he actually um knocked on a doctor's door he had no idea of a hospital bedding fund (laughs) and so um one of the lines i've written in the book is it's amazing really because he would cheat people out of their money in the name of charity and he actually became one of england's he was the number one charitable donor to, to England donating over 300 million pounds of his own money to the various different charities. And, you know, God challenged him a number of times when he was a young boy and he'd just come to faith in Christ um, to give everything he had into the offering. And this was before he had anything. Uh, he was just a simple bank clerk and, and really had very little. And God challenged him three times. He gave everything that he had and it meant he had to walk home. He couldn't afford the bus fare. Um, and he often says that it's because God challenged him when he had least mm. that he knew that, you know, when he was faithful in those moments that God was able to bless him. And he went on this incredible journey, he ended up in the car industry. Um, so we owned Subaru cars um, in the UK and we were the first importers of Subaru. And then that went on to Hyundai and other car brands. And, and basically the business has just grown from year to year, even when there's been global financial crisis and everything, he's managed to stay above the curve and um, and really credits everything to the goodness of God. And God's just really led the way and blessed him incredibly. Um, 
but many years ago he's he had all the, accumulated all this wealth and he just said okay god well what you know what do you want me to do with it it can't just be for me to what kind of store and and house and enjoy myself what is it you want me to do with it and he actually went to a rhino bonky um crusade and rhino bonky shared this story of how um he was praying to god one day because he'd heard people had been given a million dollars he's like Lord, I want a million dollars. You know, I could impact the kingdom so much with a million dollars. And he, and God challenged him, do you want a million dollars or a million souls? Mm. And Rhino Bonke said, I want a million souls. Wow. And so um, my dad was really challenged by that story. And he was driving home one day and he says, God, I want a million souls. Mm. And um, God told him to think bigger. And he said, well, how much bigger? And he says, well, what's the next one up? And he said, a billion souls? Mm. And he says, yes. And so his mission, he created a charity then called Christian Vision, which is in Christian media. And it's um, pro- uh, proclaiming the gospel online through various, you can find an app called Yes, He Is. Um, and you can look at CV. They've got offices all over the world producing Christian content and with the mission to touch a billion souls with the gospel. Wow, wow. So, amazing. Yeah, and he's almost at his target, which is wow. amazing. He's been going since 85. Wow. So, yeah. In the book, you talk, you, you, you mentioned Reinhard Bonnke and there was, um, he came to the house, correct? Uh, yeah. And there's a, a meeting that you were, I don't know if, if it was dinner or what, but it was a profound moment in your life. You want to unpack that a little bit? Because I, you know, I think that when I read that, I thought this is, this is where everything sparked for you. Yeah. Well, he came to dinner. They, I don't know if you remember, Andy, there was an um, initiative in England where Reinhard Bonnke wanted to deliver a booklet called Minus to Plus to every home yeah. in yeah. England. And it was going to cost millions of pounds. And, Again, my dad was impressed with Reinhard Bonnke and he partnered with him. And I think he went 50-50 and he says, whatever you raise, you know, I'll double it. So they went into partnership with this and that meant that Reinhard actually and him became friends. And so one day he just came to our house for dinner, you know, as you do. (laughs) And um, I just remember, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. it's one of those moments where you really are very conscious of how you're eating and, but you know, you get very <laughs> nervous, but I was so taken by him because, you know, I'd only ever watched him in stadiums or seen him on documentaries and the passion of this man is amazing, but he was as passionate over my mom's broccoli and roast potatoes, <laughs> you know, as he was about reaching millions of people in, 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 in Africa. And, um, I just remember just being so awed by this man that I probably was just, my mouth was wide open and I was dropping food down in my lap, not really caring because all I caught was the passion of him for life, for people, for souls, for his purpose with the gospel. And I just remember praying after that, Lord, I want to be as passionate as this man is. Like if I can, even if I can just take a portion of that and, and adapt it into my life, then you know I want to do something for God like like He's doing, and and I just remember it being a significant moment for me of dedicating my life that God use me for Your purpose. Yeah, wow. And obviously that that then you know you as an as a at a young age like that trying to think, okay, God, 
what do you want me to do? Because you had a lot of labels, right? Um, one of them in the book, you talk about being daddy's little girl and just, you know, being everywhere with him uh, when you could, that type of thing. Going up to the corner shop, you talked about, you know, being the rich kid. You talk about it in the book quite quite a bit. Um, what was what was that like being in that meeting and, or that dinner and like God now giving you a, a different label? You know, like there's, yeah. you know, what was, for people who have, may not have ever experienced that of like, man, I want to be a part of something bigger. What was that like for you? How old were you when that happened? I was already kind of in my late teens, early 20s. Okay. Um, and I'd already developed a passion for God and already knew that, you know, I wanted to do something for God. But I just, you know, I didn't know what or I didn't know how. Um, but just obviously I caught the passion of this man. And I'm like, I want to, I want to be as passionate about something because... You know, we, we can see a lot of people doing good works or, or doing things in the ministry, but passion is contagious. Right, right. And so, and I wanted to capture that and I want to be able to ignite that in others yeah. Um, yeah. by how I live my life and the choices that I make. Um, but, you know, as I say in the book, that was my kind of personal and inner prayer, but how people saw me was simply the rich kid and with that comes labels and expectations that you know oh this is who you are you know because you've got access to all this wealth and this finance that you're not actually interested in in other people of you know different situations that more underprivileged and they think that you're not interested in them Mm. and so I found it difficult that this is who I was I really wanted to you know help women in in traumatic situations and that but really i was battling the label of expectations that people saw me as kind of this rich kid that was irrelevant to the world and society yeah wow wow yeah there's so much so much there and um i I had to be so refreshing to see reinhard bonke um on the big stage but to see the fact that he was the same around a dinner table and um, how that passion is contagious and, and inspired you. And um, I've had a, a couple moments like, like that myself, and I'm sure, Andy, you have too, um, especially when you're in ministry and you see people on a platform and on a stage and, uh, you know, they're anointed and God is using them. What really matters is the character yeah. behind the scenes and what they're like face-to-face how they treat others, and um, so so I, I I love that, and I had I had a kind of a a, a similar experience with a um, old Pentecostal tent preacher named R. W. Shambach, and I don't know if you've right. heard of him, yeah. but um, I remember my parents took me as a kid, it was tent meeting, thousands of people, and um, I got in I got in the line. I had I had. Um, strep throat or throat throat I, w- I was like 10 years old anyway long story short um i didn't think that he would give me any time you know he had a, a team and the tent meetings going on and anyway he he actually sat me on his lap mm. and spoke to me laid hands on me prayed for me i was healed um, but i never forgot that moment that he that he took the time yeah. to just sit me on his lap even though there's 
thousands of people there and just focus on me just for a few moments. Yeah. And it really did impact me. So I could see how that moment impacted yeah. you. And now here you, here you are and you have the opportunity to minister to people just like that. That's what you're doing. It's amazing. And, and that, um, that night then obviously sparked something in you. Um, you, and I might be, might get this wrong time wise, but just a little time after that, you got married and went to Hillsong, um, which started a whole, and I'll be honest with you. When I was reading the book, it took a turn, especially with your husband that I was not expecting. Right. (laughs) I was like, Whoa, man, I'm a bad friend. I should have like been in touch somehow, but I didn't know obviously, (laughs) but you're like, you're like, man, this is crazy. Um, but do you want to just unpack that um, about being at Hillsong, which was your yeah. first year of marriage? Is that correct? Yes, we we was married six months and we went. Whoa! So at college, uh, just got married, um, but then when you came back, life changed a little bit. Uh, like I just mentioned with with mm. uh, your husband, just unpack that a little bit because I know there's people that see. Um, folks who, um, you know, the rich and famous, and they think, oh, the life is amazing. They have nothing that goes wrong, and, and, and we'll even touch a little bit on uh, with with your dad and your mom and things like that. But tell yeah. us a little bit about that first year of marriage, but then when you got back to the UK and how things went. Yeah, well, uh, what I didn't realize is, well, Noel wasn't actually a Christian when I first met him, which was probably a big no-no when it came to my family. So I actually kept him a secret for about a week until <laughs> my dad, who is like a detective, kn- sniffed it out straight away and called me on it. And so he says, well, why don't you, I want to meet this guy. Why don't you bring him to church? So we'd only been dating two weeks and I, I bring him to church. And, um, you know, here I, I think that, my husband's name's Noel and I think Noel is like so far from God because he was really into a party life what I saw in him because I was a you know good Christian girl really heavily into my faith and you know this just seemed really out of character for me and so um you know and I, I so I he just was like this party animal and I didn't think he's even gonna be interested in faith so anyway I said I agreed bring him to church he could meet my dad so he, he comes to church the first day and... Um, now let me, let me ask you this. Does yeah. he know, like, at this point, does he know, like, who your dad is? Um, you know, like, you know, the, the Midlands version of Richard Branson type of thing. Does he know that <laughs> or does he think he's just your dad? You, you know what I mean? Yeah, at this point, he hasn't got a clue. So he doesn't <laughs> okay. know my background. I kept that completely quiet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but the fact that he agreed to come to church, yeah, one was kind of, oh, that's a tick. Like he's prepared to do something that's going to make him feel a bit uncomfortable yeah. to want to date me. So I did actually tell him right before he met my dad that actually, you know, he's one of the wealthiest men in England <laughs> and his jaw kind of dropped. Oh, because he suddenly thought, oh no, am I good enough for her? Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's starting to get all these... Um, thoughts anyway so he meets my dad and my dad just comes straight over to him and he cuts to the chase and he says 
okay, so it seems that my daughter likes you and um, you seem to like her and you know that her faith is really important to her. So what is it you believe about God? First question. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I'm dying and I'm cringing and thinking, Dad, I just want to make him feel comfortable and happy and, <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. Well, actually, right there and then, my dad led him to the Lord. Wow. And um, amazing. It was an amazing moment. And, and actually, that night, we planned to go and see a movie that Noel had been really wanting to see, which was Demolition Man. Even if you can remember that movie, existed, <laughs> yeah. we're talking like maybe 30 years ago. Um, so we went after the service we went to see the movie and Noel spent the whole time with his head on the back of the seat just looking at the ceiling and breathing heavily in and out and you know just said what's just happened to me something significant had really happened to him and it, wow. you know he'd had an encounter with Jesus which was wonderful but it didn't kind of change his behavior so much and and it was only after we really came back from Hillsong that um, I really understood the depth of Noel's alcoholism and you know, he he kind of kept it nicely hidden. Um, but when we came back and, you know, the, it's, it's a pressure being in a family with high expectations, high achievers. Yeah. Um, and from Noel, you know, he's come from a very simple Irish family, lived in a terrace house in the middle of the city, total opposite to me. And so to try and adapt into my family, my life, the, you know, the whole Christian way of living as well, he was very early stages to that so there was a lot of pressure on him and and so the alcohol really just became quite prominent in his life and the book explains that journey that it was kind of a very hidden journey for me yeah. um, and I didn't want to kind of share it with my family my family were going through trauma at that time my parents were, were splitting up and um, yeah and so it became, and I've been quite honest and candid in in the book, and yeah. and shared some of those experiences. And I've we've done that intentionally. We're 25 years married now, and you know that was the first sort of five six years of our marriage, and we've done it on purpose because we know that it can seem like such a hopeless time and such a hopeless situation. Um, but God was really like he took me to the point of absolute brokenness of complete surrender. I had nothing left in me to be able to give. I simply could do one more day and God just miraculously stepped in. And so, you know, our hope is that it gives faith and inspires other people that, you know, God can bring a miracle into these situations. And he now hasn't drank for over 20 years. So. Amazing. I mean, I was reading it. I, I just mentioned that, but you know, you, I just wasn't ready for it in the book. I was like, <laughs> Oh man, what's going to happen now? And, and you mentioned obviously with, uh, the split with, uh, your mom and dad, which was a, not only for you, a, a big deal, but as you mentioned in the book, um, you know, the media would, were getting a hold of it. Those people that were really trying to make a, a, a big thing. It was a big thing for you, but, around yeah. the country you know um this prominent christian guy and family that are now split in that, that uh, for for what he's done in the country um how was that to to navigate as well for you i know you're very i mean you're very close to your mom and your dad um and you even talk about when your dad got married um again and the conversation with 
you and your sister and your brother on how you were going to handle that because you didn't want to offend your mom, but you wanted to be there for your dad. Just because I know these are questions and these are things that happen all the time when when there's yeah. things happening. How how was that to navigate? Yeah, I think you know we learned a lot about ourselves and um, we clung, you know, we clung hold to God really strongly in that time um, and had to work out how we can come together as a family. Um, one thing I did discover really is that you know it was challenging because my my parents were prominent Christians and with that brought attention from people who didn't really know us at all and you know they were the ones that came out with different opinions that my parents shouldn't be getting divorced and um, you know and I think particularly in in the Christian world back in the sort of 80s and 90s it was a very challenging time to be going through something like that and uh, I, I don't know particularly that the church really knew how to handle that very well and consider everybody's thoughts and feelings in that situation. Yeah. Um, I think we've learned and we've come a long way since then. I don't know what it's like in America, but um, yeah, I think we've had to learn to adapt because it is a more common place now yeah. than, than it was back then. Um, but yeah, we we... You know, from a child's perspective, we had to learn how to love both our parents, um, and that could often be a bit of a juggling act, and and very difficult when it when it's when their relationship is challenged. But we all came through together, and it did take time, and we had to accept new people into the family. My dad did get remarried, and um, and it really was just with the grace of God that we've been able to do that, and and understanding that you know what what it means to forgive yeah. and mm. and to you see my dad was my hero and i talk about this in the book my dad was my hero and anything he said in my eyes was right mm. and it was really only until this moment that this happened um that i began to realize that actually he's just a man you know he's yeah. he's a man that has the same struggles that all of us do and for me to put these high expectations upon him is actually unfair and so in some ways i'm glad for my own sake that i had to see that you know my dad wasn't perfect because that's honest and true and you know and same for my mum too that you know that she's she's not perfect either and 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 actually that's probably normal life and it and it actually helped me to um kind of adjust my relationship and expectations of him to a much more healthier place and let god bring grace into those into those relationships that's good mm. that's good yeah really good stuff um angela i have a, i have a question for you so um in the introduction i introduce you as the honorable angela williams because your dad is a lord and um you know we've we've been talking a, a lot about your upbringing and him we have listeners in, in the UK that are, are familiar, familiar with what that means. We have listeners in Australia. But for, for our listeners in the United States, which we have listeners in all, all 50 states, can you share what it means to be given the title of Lord for those that might be, be, um, be confused by, 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 by hearing that? And I want to encourage everybody to watch The Crown. Andy had me watch The Crown every episode. So um, I get it. But... Can you explain that for our listeners? 
Yeah, well, in my dad's instance, he um, was invited by the Prime Minister to become a life peer. That means that um, they it's an actual invitation to become a lord because there are some lords that it goes passes down your lineage. That would be Very like Downton Abbey, right? Downton Abbey. Down Abbey. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's very few of those, I think, exist now. It's really you get invited if um, you've obviously contributed significantly to the to the country. Um, and my dad has in business and in charities done many things in terms of schooling and education in uh, underprivileged areas. He's done a lot with um, political parties as well. And so just he was rising in prominence, really, and, and caught the attention of the prime minister um, and had a number of meetings with him uh, and eventually, so it was David Cameron at the time, nominated him and then the Queen has to approve it and then they get inaugurated into the House of Lords. So that happened in 2011, actually, that was right, kind of right before I moved over here to Australia and, and um, yeah, so I talk about that time that we went into the House of Lords and I saw my dad get inaugurated wow. and just... With him getting the title Lord uh, and his wife Lady, then it means that I do, I get the title the Honourable as as well. And if you want to ask me what that means, absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but you do you do share a, a really funny story about uh, running through Parliament and your shoes. Can you can you yes. just share that real quick? Well, you know, when you're meeting these really kind of high-class dignitaries, as a female, I think you're really conscious of, what am I going to wear? <laughs> and so I went through lots of different outfits and eventually kind of just went for a simple black dress. And, you know, most politicians are very conservative, slightly boring in their in their attire. And so I thought I'd follow suit. So I do, I do this, but I hadn't really paid much attention to my footwear. So I just put on these high heel black shoes well by the time I actually got to um, where we go into the viewing gallery and there's these wooden steps to go into the into the chamber and it, there's like a, an elevated um, viewing deck and so we would go up there and parliament was already in session and so these my shoes were making such a clonking noise going up the <laughs> stairs I had to take them off so I could be quiet so I get upstairs the the ceremony happens and I go to leave and by now my feet are swollen because oh. <laughs> they're rebelling. They're saying, do not put me back in those shoes. Uh, so I literally can't get my feet back in the shoes. So I have no choice but to carry them. So then they take us to this other room where we're going to do the official photographs. And I'm literally walking through the Houses of Parliament with no shoes on, trying to hide the fact that I've got holding a pair of shoes by holding them behind my handbag, <laughs> probably being far too conscious. Um, yeah. So that, so that was me. I was, That's good. That's so good. I, <laughs> but you I know what? In, in Australia, people don't even wear shoes. So yeah. I was kind of like... <laughs> yeah. Breaking myself in gently. Yeah, when I was in Australia, all I worried about was standing on spiders or snakes because I wasn't wearing <laughs> so much shoes. So, <laughs> well, we do, you know, do you know how many snakes I've seen in ten years? None. Probably about three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't feel. You don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's let's turn the the conversation a bit because obviously the book is extravagant life. And up to this point, that's what we've talked about is this extravagant life. But then 
you know, the book, the full title is Extravagant Life to Extravagant Love. And God really started getting a hold of your heart and um, really wanting to do something uh, in Coventry, which at that time is where you were, were living or the area you were living. Um, tell us a bit about what God started challenging you about to do um, in reaching out to some of the women in that town. Yeah, well, um, you know, God God didn't really tell me exactly where he was sending me. He just gave me a heart to start looking at what is happening, what is available for women in vulnerable situations. And so, you know, I started to do a bit of research, what projects are already working there. And, um, and it seemed to be that most people just weren't interested in talking to us, which is unusual because we were offering to volunteer. Um, and the only ones that really seemed to kind of open up to us were in the, the red light area, in the in the red charities. And so that to me was an indication, okay, God's leading us in a direction here. Oh, and yeah. so we began to explore what that looked like. We then looked further afield, what's happening sort of countrywide for women in prostitution. And um, that really led to kind of this really life-defining moment for me where we were invited into Manchester, which was north of us about, three hours north of where we live to um, go and experience an outreach project um, right in the inner city of Manchester, which is a very, you probably know this, Andy, a very violent and um, quite renowned for its violence. And so it's, it was a chat. It was kind of a putting myself in this really unusual, challenging situation. I went with two other women and um, yeah, I won't do a spoiler in the book because there is this whole tunnel scene that really is this change. It represents a change for me of going from extravagant life into my purpose and calling in God yeah. to show extravagant love in the hard to reach areas. Um, and it led to this moment where I met my first ever prostitute and her name was Andrea. Um, and we just had this very funny kind of interaction with each other, but it was very poignant in the fact that um, while I was talking to her, she, she said that just two days before she'd given birth and she'd had a little baby girl. And I was just horrified to realize that, I mean, I'd not long had a baby myself and, and I knew that there's no way that I would be able to be at, away from my child, but also to be out there um, doing what she was doing, selling her body just two days after having a baby and I was totally heartbroken that and I saw at that moment that is complete desperation this is not a life choice this is not a lifetime goal to want to be there uh, and it's not you know because they're servicing a need it's because they are in such desperation yeah. and it led them to this point and it was kind of a real eye-opening moment for me uh, and that's when God really spoke this is who you know. This is who I want you to 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 serve, and 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 this is who I've called you to. So that was really led me on a journey then to build my own project in Coventry to help women um, exit the sex industry. You go into it pretty uh, in depth. All these different uh, ladies you meet, um, you know how you pull the team together. I mean, it really is. Um, incredible how you did it um one of the things you said though was and you know with what i do at the dream center this really spoke volumes because we preach this all the time 
you, you said that it was all about the consistency, about being there, being consistent week in, week out. Um, that's what really um, breaks some of the things in people's lives like, oh, you're actually showing up every week. You're actually caring. Um, you want to unpack that just a, just a little bit? Yeah, well, I think, you know, for, for these girls that um, they have big issues with trust. You know, a lot of people have walked out of them in their life. A lot of people have disappointed them and they probably have very, very few people of trust in their life. So how do you how do you prove that you're trustworthy is to be consistent and and if you say you're going to be somewhere at a certain time regardless of whether they're there or not you be there Um, and this was something that was a high value to ours is to be consistent to deliver everything that we promised and to continue showing up and we would find that you know often the girls would sometimes have like this hard barrier they maybe be sort of a bit outlandish and a bit sort of off they they try and put you off and and try and prove that you're going to abandon them and that you're not trustworthy and you're like everybody else in their life and you're going to walk away and so they act so kind of brashly towards you sometimes to try and prove their point so even in those circumstances just keep showing up keep showing up keep turning up keep loving them no matter how they respond to you or how they talk to you just keep loving them and eventually that breaks down the barriers and you then have access to their heart wow Wow. which is is what jesus did he established common ground and earned the right to, to speak into their life and that's what you're doing with the the women that you've encountered throughout the years that are that have been entangled within the the sex industry and prostitution have you found that the majority of them want out? They just don't know how to get out or, um, yeah. 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 I think it, go, it, it goes in different stages. So you can, you can tell those that have kind of maybe been in it of just a few months, they still feel like, oh, you know, I can, I've got control of this. I can choose when, when I want to leave. But it's only really as they continue on that they realize how ensnared they are. And at that point, they just know they can't get out. And it's just they're in this perpetual cycle of, um, you know, they just are so addicted to drugs. And this is the only way they can get the money to service their drug habit. And really, you can't you cannot get out of a drug habit a without help and without Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. so they Amen. get to that point of complete brokenness, complete desperation and complete realization that they can't do this alone. And when they're at that point, and sometimes that is just only a small snippet of time. And if you're consistent and you're present in their life at that moment of time, at, at that moment of vulnerability, you actually can have the biggest impact um, and, and help them to come through because sometimes that that margin of vulnerability is so narrow and so small um, that you just need to be there when yeah. that happens. Amen. Well, I'm sure you, you've you've made quite an impact on so many. Can you share one or two stories of of of, of you know miracle transformations or restoration that has taken place in in a woman's life? Yeah, sure. There's a, a girl that I call Olivia in the book, um, and she just. Uh, just such a beautiful story but when I met her I was actually volunteering at another project 
and um, she was a single mum raising two kids. And she would look at me across um, the room and as, as to say, don't even talk to me. Don't come near me. I'm not interested in you and don't be interested in me. <laughs> and uh, those barriers were there. And so I got the vibes. I, I could read the signs and I kind of left her alone. Um, I volunteered at this project for about two years and it was pretty much that relationship was like that for the entire two years. But towards the end of my time there, um, the actual head of the project asked me to look after her children because she wanted to, to talk to Olivia. So I took them off to this little farm. And and um, what I didn't realise that actually that was just the early sign and the, the, the very small seed of what has turned into an incredible and, and beautiful relationship with her. Wow. Um, so towards the, after that, she actually just out of the blue befriended me on Facebook. Now, I don't normally friend anyone in that in that in that part of my life on on facebook i try and keep it very private and separate um but god spoke to me and he says friend her because she's going to make it wow, wow and so i i went across all my boundaries and i accepted her friend request and straight away we went into this in-depth conversation and it went really deep and it seemed so bizarre because I'm like you will talk to me in this depth in private but you won't even say hello to me in public <laughs> and, um, but I didn't care I mean I'm like this is this is wonderful by this point then we I'd started to build embrace which was the project that I that I founded um and I invited her to one of our events that we did and, and we'd got um, a guy that had been in, been strongly addicted to, to heroin and he'd come out of that life and now he was actually running his own sort of um, rehab in Wales and miracle story. So he comes and he shares his story, he's written a book, hands the book out at the end of the night and Olivia really, again, hardly said two words to me, took the book and off she goes. At this point, she'd had another baby. And so we just thought, oh, you know, she's just adapting to her new situation. Didn't see her for a couple of months. Eventually, she just turned up at our office one day and just out of the blue. And she starts talking to me and I could just tell her language had changed. Um, just the whole way she presented herself had changed. And I just said, Olivia, has something changed about you? And she just said, I have been waiting for you to notice. She said, <laughs> I have prayed the prayer in the back of that book and I feel really different. And she says, and I've started attending a church. Wow. So she'd done this off her own back. Yeah. yeah. Um, and really we were just amazed and so thankful to God. And it just led to this beautiful, uh, mo this beautiful kind of relationship between us where I ended up baptizing her. Wow. That was probably one of, that's, that to wow. me felt like the day I gave birth to my son. Wow. You know, it was almost the same emotion when you're when you're baptizing someone that's come from such a challenged life and you've played a small part in their journey. Um, then she's then she was going to get married, and so um, I actually invited her to the big house that I grew up in called yeah. the Woodlands, and and my wedding dress was stored there. And there's this just this beautiful moment where she stood where I stood on my wedding day. She stood with my wedding dress on, wow. which really to me represented the purity of her heart and the journey that God had brought her on to this point. Um, and it was just, it was a very moving moment. And uh, she got married and, you know, it's just, she's married with four beautiful kids, 
four beautiful kids all been restored to her and she even kind of supported our project for a little while as well she came and volunteered at embrace um and just uh, something worth mentioning is a, a couple of years ago while we were living in australia we were um going to a big conference down in sydney and i just felt to invite her over I don't. I don't. Didn't know why, and I, I rang her up and said, "Olivia, would you like to come to this conference with me?" It means you've got to get on a plane and you've got to come to. You've got to come to Queensland, and we're going to go to Sydney together. This wow. was massive for her because she'd never left her family. She'd never travelled that far. Wow! But she agreed, and she just came for one week. And we sat in a big conference. It was the C3 Global Conference, and Louis Giglio. Have you heard yeah, of him? Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was speaking. And he was sharing this story about a, a, a girl that was on the streets that they'd rescued. Her name was Michelle and he'd ba- they'd baptised her and she was now working in their outreach program as well. Um, and Olivia turned to me and it was just like such a parallel story of, yeah. of us. And she said to me, I don't know if you know this, but I used to call myself Michelle. Oh, And I didn't man. know it. Wow. And we were just like, wow, this has just got to be God that he's brought us here to hear that story. And yeah, so she is the bright shining light for me and forever grateful to God that, you know, she came into my world because she transformed and changed me. Wow. That's good. Amazing. Now, now, someone else um, went out with you uh, one night and that was your dad. (laughs) You talk about it in the book because obviously – um, you know, who, for those who know your dad, um, he's a leader. He's a, an incredible leader, great mind. But you wanted him to experience what you were seeing and doing, not just hear it. And you go in, in depth in that. You want to just share a little bit about that? Yeah, well, my dad is a businessman. Um, he's business and charity. And so, and he's, you know, highly involved in both of those arenas. So I naturally want my dad's approval and my dad's, uh, you know, acceptance of the work I'm doing. And so, you know, I always try and and get his opinion because, you know, people would pay a lot of money to get his opinion. He's (laughs) successful. It's worth listening to him. Yes. So, and it seems to be that, you know, with with what I did with Embrace, that I just couldn't seem to kind of get his understanding on it and I think mainly from a perspective that he was nervous for me you know I was taking a lot of risks and I think his opinion was well you can actually put money into other projects that are doing this work and you can empower them to do it why do you have to go yeah. you know and I'm like well I really so I really wanted him to understand what it was like connecting one-to-one with the women that it actually transforms you so much so I said, well, why don't you come and see for yourself? Mm. And to my surprise, he actually accepted. And I was a bit blown away by that. (laughs) So he came onto the outreach team. I kind of told him all the things you can say, all the things to avoid. You know, don't don't ask them these questions. Don't ask them that. So eventually it's his turn. He gets out the car and asks them all the questions straight off the bat (laughs) that I told him not to ask. He totally crosses every boundary and every barrier that I put in place and somehow manages to charm them. (laughs) And and I'm like, oh no, he's done exactly to them the same thing they did to me when he wanted information out of me. I seem to be able to just 
give all this information and think, what did I say that for? <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I thought this was going great. And I thought, wonderful. He's really getting this, the value of one, like the value of each woman and, and how valuable they are to me. And he, and he seemed to be doing this interrogation with every woman and they were loving it. Get to the end of the night and uh, I'm expecting like a good report. And I say to dad, so what do you think? And he said, it seems like a whole lot of effort for very little return. Mm. And I remember like, oh, wow, that really, that really impacted me. You know, and it took me a long time to kind of process what does he mean by this? Because at that point, honestly, I wanted to give up. I wanted yeah. to think this is useless. This is um, putting all this effort in, not really getting anywhere. I'm wasting time. I'm wasting money. Uh, it's, it's pointless. And I remember just kind of getting on my knees. My, you know, Noel was brilliant. He, he was saying, no, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep, this is what you're called to do. And I remember getting on my knees before God and like saying, you know, the one man's approval that I wanted in my life, I haven't got. Um, and I felt the Lord say to me, you know, that scripture, it says, when you do it for the least of these, yeah. you've done it for me. Yeah. And I felt him challenge me and said, if you'd have done this for just one person, yeah. would you have still done it? And I got to that point and that realization where I said, yes, God, if it's only one person's life, if it was only for Olivia, then yes, this has all been worth it. And then he said, well, get up and continue. Yeah. And it, it was really a transition moment for me where I realized the only approval and acceptance I needed was my heavenly father. Yeah. And actually my dad did me a favor that day. Man. by what he said yeah you know it yeah. may have hurt me but i needed to be hurt to be repositioned in who i'm doing this for that's good so yeah i remember once um we were um yeah i remember being at um a grant meeting we were in front of uh, a bunch of folks and they were asking the question about what were some of the signs of success with the young people that we minister to. So we have a homeless shelter and apartments that we can transition those homeless ladies and their families into the apartments. And um, I've seen some great success, like 91% never go back to homelessness if they enter our uh, apartments, which have care workers and uh, youth workers and things like that. And and we, we, we deal with a lot of kids. The average age in our homeless shelter is nine years of age. And so um, I turned to this committee and I said to them, you know, the success cannot be written on paper. That um, the success that we look for isn't if they're graduating school mm. or getting great marks at school. It's if they'll just look you in the eye and talk or if they will hug you at the end of the day because the kids that come to us um, when they come into the programs they've already felt rejection they've already felt hurt from poverty and you know different boyfriends coming into mom's life and all these different things and so the results that maybe the world look for are completely different to what we would look for in just a smile or a hug mm. or um, uh, when you shake a kid's hand, they, they grasp it hard because they appreciate you. Um, 
and so it's different and I, and I can you know with what you just shared rings true to me as well some of the the successes that the world throws at are different than what we would see you know Chuck yeah yeah um um, so, Angelus, I've been pastoring the same church that I, I planted 23 years ago, and we've seen a lot of life transformation throughout the years. And I, I remember I, I lived in the Bible Belt um, before my wife and I planted our church. We were attending a mega church in Tulsa, and we had this vision, and we had our we wrote down all of our goals and our, our five-year plan, and we just knew we were going to come and duplicate what God was doing in Tulsa here. And we found out pretty quickly that. Um, things were much different <laughs> in Peoria, Illinois, than they were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and everything just kind of went out the window. And the bottom line was we had to sit down and say, you know what? If it's for one person, we're going to be faithful. Because this yeah. is what God's called us to do. It's not about numbers. It's about being Jesus to one individual at a time. And it was this, this man early on who during our first year of the church who was a vietnam vet just um kind of long-haired burned out dude who, who came someone invited him and he was blown away that it was church you know when we started it was very non-traditional and rock and roll worship and just we were going after a crowd that was not being reached by um that we're not comfortable in a traditional church setting. Not that we were opposed to it, but yeah, 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 just different visions. And um, this guy got invited, and during worship, um, he just he loved it, and he turned to his friend really loud, and a bunch of people with within earshot heard him say this, and and he wasn't trying to be crude, but he just said, "Man, I love this blank in church," and he cussed really loud, and, he, and a bunch <laughs> of people heard it, like, "Man." And anyway, he got saved, gave his life to Christ. And I, I remember um, several weeks later, it was the Holy Spirit was moving one of our services. And um, I, I don't do this anymore, but this was in our early years. And I just kind of opened up the mic for anybody that wanted to kind of share a testimony, what God was doing in their, in their heart. And um, this guy came up and he just started sharing what God had done in his life and what Jesus meant to him. And there were a few curse words in there. <laughs> like, my eyes were really big. And, but it was a genuine faith. He gave his life to Christ and he died not too long after that. Wow. Oh, wow. But he's, but he's in heaven. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you know, if, if 23 years of, of doing church, um, man, John, John, will be with Jesus forever. Yeah. Olivia was transformed because you were willing to, to speak it in her life and to yeah. continue pursuing the vision of embrace that God gave you. So, man, we're mm -hmm. just so grateful that you would share your story with us and encourage our, our listeners and those that have a dream in their heart or those that are, are struggling with labels, those that have expectations that they're dealing with that they didn't ask for. All these different things. I know you've, you've hit a lot of people yeah in in the heart today we're just great grateful for that oh, angela would you um at the end of the podcast every every episode we have whoever's on uh to to just pray uh, and, and like chuck said you've touched on a lot of different things um and it, and it may be something that you you touched on didn't go in depth about um but someone's listening going man i relate to that could you just um, pray into some of the things you talked about, whether it's labels, whether it's um, the the wife who's struggling right now with the spouse 
um, whether it's drink or alcohol or other different um, challenges within their marriage. Um, sure. Could you lead us in that? Yeah, of course. Pleasure. Father God, we just thank you for our time together today. Father, we thank you that you guide our thoughts, that you guide our conversation, Lord. And I just pray for everyone that's listening, for those that have been touched by whatever we've talked about today. Father, I pray that you will just bring hope where hope is needed. You'll bring faith and courage where it's needed, Lord God. You will in incite us all with passion lord god and that we will all feel that we have a part a significant part to play lord god in in promoting your gospel in sharing your truth lord god in reaching out to our neighbors and our friends and those on the fringes of our life lord god and showing them an extravagant love that blows them away but father i pray that we will all know your extravagant love of how you love us whether we are in the midst of a situation of a, a, a spouse in, in alcohol addiction or a daughter that is, you know, caught in drugs or trapped in prostitution or whatever these situations are, Lord God, I just pray right now, Heavenly Father, that your extravagant love will be found in every heart, in every home and in everyone that hears this to know that there is hope and that you are working for our good in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, before we get to the big three, the big three questions <laughs> that everyone wants to know about, um, uh, how can people connect with you on social media and how can they get the book? Yes, so the book is available in the States. I'm really pleased that Target have actually picked it up, which oh, is great. A, a, a great thing. Um, but I think also Barnes & Noble, you can, yeah. you can get it from them and Amazon as well, online, yeah. you can buy it from then. There's a soft version, paperback and, and the hardcover. Um, yeah. That's and how do they connect with you on social media? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I would. I really love talking to people on social media. And if you have any questions or you want to know what we're doing next, then, you know, please get in touch and send me a message. It's Angela Dawn Williams. And you can find me on Instagram. I think it's Angela Williams official on Facebook. There's Twitter and YouTube, but Instagram really is the one where you're going to connect with me, and I'd love to respond to you. So yeah, come check me out. Great, that's good. And and just to uh, you know, we didn't get into this uh, at the end, but obviously you set up Embrace in Coventry, England. You've now moved to Australia, but that ministry is still going on, still involved. Um, so just in case people are like, well, and this is the first person, Chuck, we've interviewed um, uh, from Australia. And people will need to know this. Um, where you are at right now, it's midnight. Yeah. Uh, here yeah. it's eight o'clock in the morning. Um, so we just want to thank you for doing yeah, that as well. <laughs> There's not many people that would be like, oh, it's fine. I'll do it at 1130, 12 o'clock at night. So we do want to thank you for that. That's okay. Uh, yeah, it's because we're childhood friends, Andy. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. You get special treatment. Okay. All right. That's that's fine. I'll take it. Um, so the big three, the big three questions everyone wants to know, okay? Uh, we do this at the end of every podcast. My first question is, and obviously I've been to Australia, there are a lot of differences in Australia. What was the biggest difference that you noticed when you got there? Um, the fashion. <laughs> Nobody cares about fashion over here. 
<laughs> it's like singlets and thongs, which is vests and flip flops, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, thongs mean something totally different over here. Yeah, totally, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I had to clarify that. Um, yeah, and and that actually is dressed up, basically. Wow! Wow! Yeah! 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 Because so, are you are you near the beach where you live? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've just like Sunshine Coast. It speaks for itself. Oh, it's yeah. just probably the most beautiful place in oh. in Australia. So we're very fortunate. That's good. That's good. Here. Your question, Chuck. All right, my question is um, obviously there there is a lot of people who um, there's a lot of talk about Australia is home to the most dangerous, some of the most dangerous animals on the on the planet. I want to know what's your favorite animal. In Australia, well, you think kangaroo, koala. It's actually whales, and I got to a minke whale because I actually got to swim with one in oh, July wow. this year, and it was a totally life-changing experience. And I, literally, I could touch it; it was right up as far as my arm could reach. Wow! Most amazing experience. So, yeah, man, that's awesome. That's okay, well, last question: What do you miss most about England? What what is it that you miss the most? Well, family, Besides Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> family? Uh, family, obviously, but I would say Cadbury's chocolate. Oh. oh. Now, I've, in- I've introduced... Yeah. So we do a, a thing on the podcast called Tate and His Mate. So Chuck Tate <laughs> and me. And at the end of, of every show, I throw these different words at him that are English words, and he has to try and guess what they are, like skew whiffed and, you know, different oh, words. Yeah. Like, you know what Fortnite. I mean? Fortnite, yeah, 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 things like that. So um, plonker is the big one. He loves the word plonker. So, um, <laughs> and chop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I've also, I know what they mean. I've, I've also bought um, some goodies in, and we've had... Cadbury's chocolate in here so I totally get what you mean in America they have no idea like there's a version of Cadbury's but it's made over here and it is nothing like the Bourneville oh yeah yeah they put more preservatives in here because of the heat so it doesn't taste the same what what was your verdict Chuck did you like it I did, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've we've had a few things. We did mince pies. What? Yeah, yeah, mince pies. And um, what else did we do? uh, The digestive biscuits. biscuits. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good old cup of tea. Yeah. So yeah. Cadbury's will beat a Hershey bar any day. Oh, (laughs) come on, come on. Well, Angela, I I appreciate you coming on. Um, We're we're praying for great success with the book. Everyone that's listening, go and get it. It's a a read that you will not put down. Uh, you'll you'll read it in a week. If I can read it in a week, anyone can read this because uh, <laughs> I'm very slow at the, the books. I'd rather do audio books. Chuck did say, are you going to do an audio version I, of this? I have. I have done an audio version. So there isn't, is it's it available a, on Audible yeah. yet? It's available on Google Play. Audio, Audible have approved it. We're just waiting for it to appear, ah. and it's taking its merry time at the moment. But okay. Okay. Great. That's well, great. that's my jam, so I will I will go go get it on that as well. So yeah. um, I already ordered a physical copy, but I'm so excited to, to know that you've already done the Audible uh, version. So, yeah. And I do, I do apologize for my Manchester accent. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's really Well, Angela, thank you so much for for coming on to Revival Town podcast. We we 
deeply appreciate it, especially being as the commitment is there at midnight in Australia there. So uh, thank you again yeah, for being you. on Revival An Town. absolute Park pleasure. Well. Loved it. Thank, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I like her. I really do. Yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, really was uh, going back in time a bit for me, obviously. Um, you know, I know mentioned about the car i mean i I remember that car yeah you know um when we do these interviews most of them we do via zoom there's been a handful of people we've interviewed in studio but most of the time it's via zoom yeah and the one thing that i could not stop thinking during the entire interview and i I told you this right after the break and and that is she looks like a younger version of sharon osborne i just that's all i could (laughs) wow you know, you were but, such a rocker, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Ozzy's wife. Uh, but but no, I really enjoyed that conversation, and 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 she's really making an impact. Absolutely, by what she does. And when you read the book, she really goes into some of these stories of the girls that she meets and some of the workers that are helping her out. Really is. Um, is making a difference still even though she lives in australia she's invested into this into coventry in england and that is still going there's a church that is doing that and um just really uh invested something you know what i mean yep yep and uh so it'd be good i I love her heart love her faith just just solid yeah that was good stuff i was just thinking she'd she'd be good to come and uh speak at a dream center event one year yeah you know yeah she really uh, would share a story and then hear rock church yeah, come on. You know. Come on. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, uh, you know, the first time I ever met her dad, I was very nervous. Yeah, weren't um, you trying to, like, break into their, pro- break into their property? <laughs> or, oh, 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 no, no. <laughs> her brother is one of the best drummers I've ever heard. I mean, just incredible drummer. In fact, I was there at his house the night that he had this drum set shipped in from somewhere, and he was putting it up you know, putting it up for the first time and a beautiful drum set. Never forget that, you know, and, uh, but yet he, he invited me to, uh, set up a percussion set next to his drum set at a big, um, like conference they would do, you know? <clears throat> and so I said, yeah, sure. I was like, I don't know, probably 14, something like that, 13, 14. So they get all this gear, he's got all this gear and everything, and there's this guy sitting down playing this electric guitar. And I said to Andrew, I said, hey, is, is that your dad? And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's gonna play. He's an amazing electric guitarist. Wow. So my friend who was there, James, who was the other electric guitarist, um, said, go and say hi to him. So I went up to him, said hi. Uh, you know, I was nervous because everyone yeah. knew. This, yeah, everyone knew this was like <laughs> yeah. the guy. You know what I mean? And um, and the reason why I'm I'm like, <laughs> I I turned to James, my friend, and I'm like, that guitar is beautiful. And James turns to me and says, it was Eric Clapton's guitar. He bought it off Eric Clapton. And I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. So Man. that's the type of stuff we were around. Man, that's cool. uh, now, whether James was lying to me and it wasn't, but I've got a real funny suspicion that that was Eric Clapton's guitar. Wow. Incredible. 
Man. So to that's cool. so today, yeah, great stuff. Um, you know, we, we had a good time and uh, check out a book for sure. Yeah, you know, um, so it was it, listening to her. And it, you lived in Australia too. Yeah, for a for, year, for, for yeah, a year, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, so I, I was like getting a double dose of like the crown today or something. You know, <laughs> so Tate is made is very fitting. We uh, should we should have had her do Tate is made. I know. Well, you know what? It's definitely going to be. Uh, related. All right, all right. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, um, if, for instance, Angela is is living in Australia now, right? Mm-hmm. She would be known as a palm. What is a palm? A palm. P o m e. Palm. She's known as a palm. And this is really popular. Like when you're in Australia. The English people are known as the Poms. <laughs> hmm. So it's like a nickname. So a nickname, and it's, it's it's so it's not related to gender, right? No. Okay. So so a guy could be a Pom. Correct. Or a woman could be a Pom. Yeah. Of course, nowadays it goes. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna say, just well, I, I was gonna say just uh, um, a British Australian. Man, I think I've got to give it to you. Really? Okay. It means prisoner of Mother England. Pris- prisoner, prisoner of, of Mother, Mother England. England. Wow. So, Palm, if you're English living in Australia. You're a palm. You're a prisoner of Mother England. Wow, that's 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 interesting. Yeah. Now you know the story of Australia, right? That's where they would send back in the day. Anyone that was put into prison was sent to Australia. That was like the island for prisoners. So, so Australia is like Alcatraz. <laughs> yeah. A big version yeah. of Alcatraz. Yeah, we're going to send you because there's sharks and poisonous vipers <laughs> yeah. and crocodiles. <laughs> well, some of the poisonous spiders on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So oh, that's go. interesting. Cool. So palm. Yeah. yeah. Palm. All right. Well, what? we talked about it a lot the last few weeks, but make sure you're checking out the merch store on yes. the website. RevivalTownPodcast.com. Click on merch and enjoy. Have you still got the it's teddy bears some, on there? Some, hey, I, you know, good... You know, you told me to leave them, so yep. we left them for Christmas. Okay. You know, we're gonna, after I mean, limited we, edition. Ah, that's limited it. edition. They're going to be gone. Yeah. After December, no more teddy yeah. bears. Chuck's already bought three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no, but make sure you're checking that out and let people know about the podcast. Uh, and uh, like I said, you you want to stay tuned. The next few weeks, we've got some fun guests coming on leading up to Christmas. Yeah, yeah we're excited. We may even have to have a mince pie or two. Hey, oh. you know what? Okay. Oh, there we go. Check it out, guys. Hey, listen, if you do buy some merch, make sure that you take a picture, post it, tag us so we can um, so we can see it. That'd be great. Give you a shout out. Yep. All right, Chuck, love doing it. Thanks Likewise. again. Thank you. And talk to you soon. Okay. for listening to this episode of Revival Town Podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, head on over to revivaltownpodcast.com. Oh,